Welcome to the Wealth and Wellness Podcast with me, Kaylee Boisvert. I specialize in helping people to achieve their financial goals. I have a love for all things numbers, and I am passionate about financial literacy. My goal is to spark healthy and positive conversations around wealth and investment and create a world where nobody is limited by their financial situation. But wealth is just one piece in the equation of living our best lives. So join me as we explore both wealth and wellness topics. From your net worth to your self-worth, get ready to take confident action. Hello, this is Kaylee and welcome to the Wealth and Wellness Podcast. Today we are joined by special guest Michelle Monroe, who is the Director, Tax and Retirement Research for Fidelity Investments Canada. So we're so excited to have Michelle here. She's a wealth of knowledge and I am loving this topic. We're going to talk about women and wealth. So very relevant for what I do in my passion. Um, So thank you so much for being here, Michelle. Um, Just to start, can you tell us a little bit about what got you interested in investing and tax and, um, you know, where you're at in your career today? Yeah, thank you so much, Kaylee. It's great to be here. This is one of my favorite topics and Let me roll back. I went to the University of Waterloo and I have a math degree. So I really like numbers. And then my career progressed and I went to a large accounting firm and I became a chartered accountant, which is now a CPA. And my career progressed and now I work at Fidelity Investments. And when I started my career there, I was behind the scenes doing the taxes for the corporation. And for the last couple of years, I've been crisscrossing the country, meeting with advisors, financial advisors like yourself and your clients, talking about taxes, retirement, and the importance of planning early. And one thing you touched upon there is really how important this is for women um, to be talking amongst ourselves, educating ourselves. And so we're planning for our own retirements. And... um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a mom. I have two teenage daughters. Uh, my mother, my mother's still alive. She's in her 80s. She's doing really well health-wise. But this impacts not just me, but it's my entire extended family as well. And I think it's really important to have women helping other women, educating each other. So kudos to you for having this this podcast and sharing this information with your listeners. Yes, women supporting women. I love it. And I love your passion for numbers and math. I am right there with you. (laughs) But completely understandable. Not everyone loves numbers and math. That is still okay. Um, These are still important conversations to have. So when we're talking about women and wealth, um, there's some gaps that are important, I think, to talk about. And these gaps between kind of women and men when it comes to education and work, um, investing, health and longevity. So can we start by just chatting a little bit more about that? Yeah, there's a lot of gaps that go on between men and women. And this is an important discussion and just to be aware of. So we're making informed decisions. So let's start with education. Uh, I started in university in uh, 1990, so a number of years ago. And at that time, there was about 40% of university graduates were women and 60% were men. 
And that line has crossed over. And today, about 55% of all graduates are women and 45% are men. So we're having more and more women than ever before are getting that post-secondary education and more, more so than men. And at Fidelity, we took this research one step further. And we wanted to look at, well, what types of degrees are the, the differences between men and women? And what we found is that women are overrepresented in uh, health social sciences and um, what else, education, behavioral sciences, and men are overrepresented in this STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. And the key differentiator here is that, well, the STEM type of job, the STEM type of education leads to higher paying careers. Well, as the education, behavioral, social studies, sciences, they lead to lower paying careers. So if you're thinking of the cost of university as the same, um, women are actually getting a less of a return on their investment. So that, that's a real, that's one key differentiator there. And then we've heard about the gender the, or the pay gap. So once women start working, getting paid less for a same or similar role than a man does. Um, now, I can go into four details, but the, this has been an issue that's been ongoing for decades. And the gap is definitely narrowing. It's going in the right direction. But it compounds because women, and I did this certainly, two kids, I took two full year maternity leaves when I have those kids. And also family care when those kids were my children, those kids, my children got sick. I made the time to take step back from my career to take care of them, as well as personal health concerns. And these things all lead to career advancement slow down. And it's just, I'm not saying, I don't want anyone, our listeners to be thinking that I'm saying that this is right or wrong. It's just being an awareness of this. So you're planning for it for your long term. Um, also, I want to talk, well, this also layers into the top 1% income earners. Um, similar to the pay gap, well, it's going in the right direction. But still, women make up uh, just almost a quarter of those 1% income earners. And obviously, the other 75% are men. So now, it's going in the right direction, but probably not as quickly as we'd like to hope that it would go as well. Um, the next gap we sort of touched upon is uh, savings and investing. And thinking about, well, what is the difference between savings and investing? And I know lots of people listening, I, I think I, I'm a little bit older than you, Kaylee. But when I think back to what I learned from my own parents, I would think back to my mom talking, she was an excellent saver. She put money away and she bought Canadian savings bonds. But when my dad, he was thinking about investing, investing in the stock market. And there is a, a financial capability survey test and it tested Canadians knowledge uh, over 18. And there were some key questions. Some were considered basic and some were more advanced. 
consistently men outscored women, not just in the basic ones, but also in the advanced ones. However, for both men and women, those who worked with as a financial advisor scored better. And what I really relate this to is the why behind this is I think that men are just so much more comfortable talking about investing the stock market. Whereas women, when we first sit down, we'll talk about our kids, we'll talk about what's going on in our lives. And one of the last things we'll talk about is finances and specifically, even more specifically, investing. Whereas I work at in a male dominated financial services industry. I go for lunch with female colleagues and male colleagues. When men sit down, they'll, the, one of the first questions they'll ask is what's going on with the stock market? Never once have I sat down with a group of women and have, has this conversation started that way. So I would like one of the takeaways here for our listeners is to be thinking about well, let's talk about it within our female networks, not just savings, but let's also talk about investing. Um, on that regard as well is when we look at, well, who makes the financial decisions within a household? We find that, well, women make 60% of all or most of a household's financial decisions. And where we see that is that women are, and I like to call it the chief budget officer of the household. But as things progress into larger ticket items uh, and specifically into investing, we see that men are the chief investment officer of the household. So the percentage of women taking over that responsibility reduces. And again, I hope our listeners are listening and saying, no, I want to be the chief investment officer of my household and move forward. Yes. And uh, we have some statistics that show the differences between RRSP contributions between the genders. And significantly, over the last 20 years, you can see that men are contributing more to their RRSPs than women. And, you know, we, we talked about the reasons behind that. Well, they're choosing, they're choosing degrees that lead to higher paying jobs. In those jobs, they're getting paid more. They're not taking breaks from their, um, from their careers. So they have, and they feel more comfortable investing. So they're investing more in their RSPs and women are lagging. So that's an opportunity for women listening to be contributing as well. Um, the final gap I wanted to touch upon here is talking about longevity and health. And longevity is how long can you expect to live? Well, a man age 65 has a 50-50 chance of living to about age 84. A female age 65 has a 50-50 chance of living till age 88. And then if you look, well, that's 50-50 on average. If you really wanna be preparing for the probability, which is the 25% probability, well, a man has that, probability of living to age 90, and a female probability of living to age 93. And I find this really fascinating stuff. Um, so I Googled, Google has everything, uh, longevity calculator, and I found a really detailed one. And anyway, you could put in my postal code, how much I make, how old my parents are, 
It asks about exercise, healthy eating, drinking, smoking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it calculated that I'm going to live to age 98. So we'll round up to 100 just for argument. Oh, wow. Good for you. That's a yeah, a long time. But say I work to age 60, right? And I know a lot of people are sort of thinking in the back of their head, well, I wasn't planning on working till age 60. I was hoping for that freedom 55. As it becomes closer, you're like 60, maybe 65. But for argument's sake, let's say I retire at age 60. Well, that means I have to plan for 40 years of retirement. And if I started work at age, say 20, I didn't really start working until age 20, let's say 25, well, then I've only, I've had 35 years of saving for 40 years of retirement. And one of the key takeaways here is, is that women can expect to outlive our male counterparts on average three to four years. So how much more do I need to save during my working years to fund an additional year, additional four years of retirement? And that's one of the key reasons why this is so important for women to be thinking about and the men who love their women to be thinking about. So it's, it's a really, it's an important topic and one where we will, if we don't think about it now, we as women will be paying the price in our later years. Right. Yes. That was, yeah, that's so much um, great information. And like you said, it's that awareness, right? Like we're not saying it's it's right necessarily that women still make less than men. Of course, we want to see that equal, but having this awareness at least sets us up to say, okay, what can I do then to make sure that this isn't the case? If I'm living longer, if stats show I'm not saving as much as men, what can I do to change that? Um, and even like you said, that conversation, you're so, you're so right with that too, that women don't talk about this as much. So when we're having our next meeting with our girlfriends, it's like, first topic, what are the stock markets doing, right? right. <laughs> Let's change that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I find like with my gal pals, we talk about everything under the sun. Why should investing be any different? And once you start the conversation, people are very, my, my gal pals are very quick to pick up on it. And uh, I think it's, it's a great opportunity to really have helping women, helping other women. Yes. Yeah. That we're there for each other. And there's no such thing as, you know, a dumb question or saying something like, that's why we're there for each other to, you know, give each other maybe advice or feedback or what we've experienced. And it's a good opportunity to share that information. So I love that. And pointing out all these um, stats is so important, I think, for women to consider. So that kind of that health longevity takes us into that retirement question. And um, I think this is a, such an important one. Um, because something I've heard women say more than men too, is this fear of like outliving their money and women saying things like, you know, I don't want to end up eating cat food in my ret retirement. So I'm like, why do women say that? Like, um, I would hope we don't have to convert to eating cat food, but you know, men don't have that same fear or bring up that fear of outliving or not having enough. And I think there is a lot of concern with women and are they going to be okay in retirement? So can we talk more about retirement for women? So thinking about retirement, and I, I don't want to assume that everyone's in a heterosexual relationship or even in a relationship period, but thinking about, well, what does retirement mean for you? And what does it mean for your partner who you're living with? 
And I, I remember this very distinctly. I was speaking with a group and there was a young couple and the, the young lady, she was saying, well, well I'm just going to keep on working forever. And he was like, no, I was going to retire at 60. So they hadn't really talked about creating this. What does the retirement vision look like? And it's an important thing to think about um, because if you're making choices today and you're thinking about that vision, well, it's much easier to make those choices if you have a clear vision of what your retirement, what you're saving for, what you're working towards. And when we ask people, we do an annual retirement survey across Canada, but we get the same answers year after year. People want to travel, even during a pandemic. People tell us, yeah, when this is over, we want to travel. And it's also spending time with family and friends, hobbies, things we didn't have time to do during our working years, volunteering, sports and fitness, arts and entertainment. And as I talked about there, well, if I'm planning my retirement to last 30, 40 years or longer, the first 10 years are going to look considerably different than the last 10 years. And it's certainly, you know, media, they do a great job of those sort of the first 10 years, the fun, the travel, but really thinking about it as, a, as it is going to be a very long process and it will change um, over, the, over the time of retirement. And um, Kaylee, I think that's one of the things that where you can really help your, where you do help your clients is helping them prepare for that. It's like, well, retirement, is more than what media provides, what they show in advertising and helping them think about it that way. Um, so kudos to you. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about the linear path or the path to retirement and thinking about it a little bit differently. And I'm gonna use my parents as an example. Um, it was, it's a very linear path. So they, they finished schooling, they got jobs. They got married, they bought houses, they had children, all in that order. When my dad retired, he got that gold watch because he'd been at his company for X number of years. Whereas our generation, well, my generation and generations after me need to be thinking about it in a much different way. It's a much, it's a, we call it this multi-stage path with lots of ups and downs and crevices where it might start the same where you finish, finish your education, start a job, maybe you buy a house, maybe you have children, and then maybe you get married. And then maybe you try a different career, separation, divorce, 50% rate, remarriages. It's a much, it's, it's, it has a lot of ups and downs there on the path to that. So thinking about planning for retirement in a much different way. And uh, I think that's another place where women can, can learn from each other. And we're talking about these sorts of things and thinking about it that way. Yeah. yeah. Like there's more unknowns, basically, it sounds like there's more, like, it's not that, like you said, that linear path, there's more just, you know, things that can happen. And when I think of 
more unknowns. I just always think, you know, when I'm talking to people about this stuff, I say like planning, it's a living document and it's, you know, it's not static because life is going to change, throw curveballs our way. And so we can't just stick to the one original plan because it's probably not going to be, you know, what's going to actually happen five years or 10 years from now. Um, and I'm as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, and the irony is, as we're recording this, we are living through a pandemic. Like, there's no bigger, no bigger pivot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and adjusting. I find too, though, that some people um, almost underrate, underestimate their retirement needs. Because when I ask that question, sometimes people think, okay, well, I'm not going to have, you know, I'd likely have my house paid off, so I won't have a mortgage, and I won't have to pay for this. And, you know, in my mind, I think, like you said, that first 10 years, I still kind of see people as, you know, being busy, though, and doing things. And, there's still maybe costs associated with that. Like, I think a lot of people try to almost cut back that budget and be like, well, I'm not going to spend very much, but I don't know if they're necessarily creating a comfortable retirement when they're doing that kind of estimate. Right. And we have research that shows us that it actually takes three to five years uh, for a retiree to actually get into in uh, their more long-term budget and they do spend more than they anticipate. Um, and it's, it's because they're doing the travel. They might be renovating their house um, because you're, now you're all of a sudden, you're, as we are right now, you're spending a lot more time in it. And you're like, oh, I really wish I'd redo that kitchen. I wish I'd do that. So that's the importance of working with you to help build that into the retirement plan and, and really opening your eyes that, well, it might be a little bit different than what you might think and helping you build that in. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And thinking about a little bit about, well, how do you pay for the retirement? Like where I'm going, we call it a retirement paycheck. And well, right now I work at Fidelity and I get a regular paycheck during my working years. It comes semi-monthly and that's great. Uh, but when you're in retirement, all of a sudden these income sources come from a variety of sources, which people aren't used to. Um, so there's CPP, old age security, which is government. Um, you might have a workplace uh, investing, which is a, a defined benefit pension plan, a defined contribution plan, or an employer RRSP. Uh, you could have your own savings within an RRSP or a non-registered investments. Um, and what our research shows us as well is that anything that's linked to employment income, no surprises here, men anticipate to get more than women do because earning more for things that we've described already. Uh, a couple other trends I wanted to share with you, Kaylee, is that we've asked pre-retirees, uh, do you expect to be working in retirement? And let me just describe the distinction. The, the distinction is, well, if I'm retired and if I'm working, well, I've retired from my primary profession. And now I'm working as a secondary job. And the reasons behind that is, well, to, to really thrive, not survive. At Fidelity, we like to say a plan to work in retirement is not a retirement plan. And um, so people are doing this to stay busy, to stay engaged, um, to stay active, um, social reasons, and also to make life financially a little bit easier as well. Uh, the differences here, though, is that we see that almost 40% of men said that they were planning on working in retirement. 
uh, but only 30% of women said that. So there's men are thinking that way. There's a, there's a big difference there. Uh, another thing about thinking about funding or retirement income sources is inheritance. And the two big risks with that, um, one, the timing. So I'll, I'll say this as a me statement. So if I'm anticipating an inheritance from my parents, well, my parents are in their 80s, they're in good health, they could last, like they could live another 10, 15 years. And what goes hand in hand with that is, well, they're going to also need their nest egg. So the amount that I could potentially receive could be much smaller than I might otherwise be hoping for. So the timing and the amount, two key risks when you're thinking about an inheritance. So that's, I always want to make sure that people are fully aware of that if they have it in the back of their heads that, oh yeah, I'm going to get an inheritance. Well, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not bank on the inheritance. Let's plan according to what we <laughs> will need. And that will be an extra bonus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to share with you a little bit about, well, what people have in their portfolio and compare that between men and women. Yes, um, yes. So we asked people in our survey, well, what's in what's your portfolio made up of so we're not looking at the amounts we're looking at what does it consist of and just over a third of women said i don't know <laughs> so a third of women don't know what's in there and still one in five men just about 20 percent men said they don't know either and personally you know i worked so hard for my money and I'm working so hard to invest and save it. I want to know what I'm invested in, why it makes sense for my portfolio. And I hope our listeners are doing the same. And, uh, yeah. Like understanding too, yeah, the stage of life they're in and what they're invested in. And is that appropriate for their time frame and things like that? That's so important. Right. It's very, very important. And the next thing I wanted to highlight is that uh, the difference is, well, you might have equities, you might have a balanced fund, you might have bonds or cash. And well, men, they are, they invest, they told us almost 15% invest in equities, where it was under 10%, just 8% of women said that they were invested in equities. So men are investing almost double compared to the women. And there's... I think there's lots of good reasons for this. Well, men are more comfortable talking about investments, so they're more comfortable investing in equities. Um, women are more risk adverse, socialized. I, I was socialized as a female by my mother. Well, you invest in your Canadian savings bonds, and that was sort of normal. So again, this comes back to women educating other women, talking about investing so we can be more comfortable investing in equities. And the reason for that is comes back to that longevity is that equities provide the growth to that women need because we live for three to four years longer than men on average. Now, equities can also be riskier, but over the long term, that diminishes. Um, and also thinking about, well, a similar story about men are more comfortable investing in balanced funds um, than women are. And it's the same idea is that, well, 
women need to be getting thinking about being more comfortable investing in balanced funds, which is, as the name describes, a balance between those equities, the bonds, and the cash. And if you can see where I'm going with this discussion. Well, women are over-invested in cash, in bonds. So the importance of shifting, having a more balanced portfolio and being more comfortable in the equities um, and for longevity reasons. Yes, absolutely. So doing the work that it takes to get them there. So if it's just that they're not comfortable there, then it's, you know, what will help with that? Like, is it financial literacy and taking a course or reading a book or, you know, what is it that's going to help bring them to getting more comfortable? Wow. So we are singing to, we're preaching to the choir here because they're already listening to us, which is great. Uh, and this is the first great step. Um, I always enjoy reading in the, uh, each of the national papers have it, the talk about a financial faith slip, where it goes through a, a, an example of, uh, of a family, an individual, and how are they investing, have they have enough, and what it does is it gives a real life scenario, which different aspects may or may not apply to my situation or a friend's situation, but I find it very interesting. And building upon that, and there's so many podcasts just like this one that people can be listening to, reading, educating ourselves. And a lot of that is just following the energy, what interests you, and keep on going from there. Yeah. What are then a few things that women can do to really get started if they're, you know, wanting to take that, like you said, that position of um, chief financial officer, right? Was that the term or investing officer? officer. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So what we want to do is the very first thing. So I have five things. The first one is take an inventory of your net worth. So that is just a snapshot of what am I worth today? Or what is my family worth today? So if you're looking at it combined um, for partners. Um, So, okay, I own a, and I'll I'll say this as a me statement. I own a house. Uh, On the downside, I still have a mortgage. Um, I have some investments. I have RRSPs. I have uh, TFSAs, tax-free savings account. I have non-registered accounts. Maybe I have, a, I have an investment loan. Maybe I still have a student loan. Um, maybe I have a car loan. So looking at all of those assets and then also looking at the liabilities against that and creating a snapshot of where am I at today. And I do this quarterly. Now, if somebody's listening and they're thinking, oh, I've never done this. Well, let's just do it once and make it a goal to do this before the end of the year. Okay, and then once you've done it once, maybe your next goal is to say, well, I am going to try to do this quarterly. Um, It's not something you want to be doing on a day to day basis. I think quarterly is about right. And with that goes hand in hand is understanding, well, how much money is coming into my household and how much are we spending and using all of this information as knowledge. And so you're making this is foundational to be making your decisions of how you choose to spend your money, how you choose to save your money. Are you on, and this leads into my uh, second thing we can do is what are my goals? What am I saving for? And they're going to fall into short-term goals, 
medium-term goals, and long-term goals. And I'll, I'm gonna say this again as an I statement. So my long-term goal is to save enough for my retirement. And it could be, and my, my real goal here is so I have choices in my retirement and planning for it to last a long time. And I could look at it in different ways. Well, I wanna have X amount set aside, or I wanna have enough income stream to replace so much of my current income or looking to generate X amount during retirement. And I touched upon all of those sources of income during my retirement, my retirement paycheck. As it gets closer, thinking about what are those sources. A medium term, well, this is something that could be happening. A medium term goal, this is something that I'm looking for in the next five to 10 years. So for me, that's saving for my kids post-secondary education. And depending how long they decide to go, that could be a lot of money. Um, so thinking about that and how do I want to do that? Well, thinking through our ESP, Registered Education Savings Plans, will I need to dip into maybe my own tax-free savings account to help fund that? Um, and looking at it from that perspective. Short-term goals, those are one to two years out. Well, I'm looking to buy a new car, saving for that now. A short-term goal could be like a big vacation that I'm saving for. And for anybody listening or for all our listeners, there are going to be variations of the same theme. Uh, one thing I did want to touch upon here is having an emergency fund and just letting people, first of all, what is an emergency fund? An emergency fund is should you need funds in an emergency, like say living through a pandemic that you need to access quickly, um, the idea is to have enough set aside to cover anywhere from three to six months of expenses. So remember, we were talking about that first one, well, understanding what are my expenses and what are the real essential ones. And many people, a year ago, if I'd asked people, do you have an emergency fund? They would say, yeah, I got a line of credit. And maybe that makes the best, maybe that does make good sense. Maybe you want to have something that's a little bit more uh, investment style where the cash is already set aside. And that's a personal decision and something, Kaylee, that you are the best person, financial advisor. I like the financial coach better. Um, but having someone to talk about, well, what makes the best decision for you? Um, we touched upon my third, my third one. Uh, the third thing we can do is making investing a habit and becoming more comfortable with investing, not just savings, becoming that chief investment officer of the household, comfortable in knowing what am I invested in, why am I invested in it, and what makes sense. Um, I did want to touch a little, little bit about the power of compound interest and starting early. Uh, if anyone's listening and they've just graduated from school, they're starting their careers, setting aside even a little bit. So they're learning about the markets, how to invest, what makes the most sense for them. Uh, the fourth one is talking to a financial coach, a financial advisor like Kaylee, who can talk, because I'm just talking about general information here. Hopefully people are asking questions saying, yes, this applies to me, this doesn't apply to me. Um, but talking with someone, and someone who's really knowledgeable about investing, about finances, and how it relates to someone's specific situation. 
And the fifth thing we can do today is having a written financial plan. So think about it. If I had a plan to write, to run a marathon, if I put my plan pen to paper, I have a more higher likelihood of success if I have a written plan. The exact same thing talks about, the exact same methodology applies to a financial plan. I'm much more likely to be successful if I have a written financial plan. And how important, like I don't wanna leave my retirement to chance. And so this is so, so important to have a written plan. And it's not just financially, but I'll also feel better prepared emotionally, socially, and even physically. We have lots of studies on that as well. It's important stuff. Yes, I love that. So those are the five things. I love it. Um, and yeah, that last one too, especially I, I'm so much a proponent of, um, you know, getting specific, writing things down, because I'm all about taking confident action. And it's so powerful when we do that with our money, um, that we can achieve these goals, especially if we're committing to getting really specific and um, planning it out, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. So Oh, go ahead. I want to pull all these pieces together. So it's having the knowledge to understand not just saving, but investing. And what are we investing in? Building our confidence, planning ahead, taking small steps today, and investing the time in ourselves and in our future. And this is a circular progression. The knowledge, confidence, planning, taking the time, pulling it all together. It's so important. Yes. I love that. That's amazing. So just in the sake of like time, is that, is there any other kind of key messages that you want to leave listeners with? Like I, I like your little sum up there, but is there anything else that you yeah, want to leave? I, I often say the best time to plant an oak tree was 50 years ago. The next best time is today. So the call to action is no matter where you are in this progression is to start applying a little bit more time so we have choices in our future. And this is such an important message for you, me, and our female listeners. Yes, absolutely. Start now, start where you are. Um, yes, like you said, today is better than tomorrow. So thank you so much, Michelle. I love that because it's you were giving us a perspective with these stats of you know just overall numbers and awareness that I think we all really need. So I, I love that. It's such a good, good information for us to um, incorporate now into our own lives. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here today. And Kaylee, best, best of luck to you and all your listeners. This has thank been you great. So much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. All right. Thanks everyone for listening and I will catch you next time. I hope you found value in this episode. And because I'm such a proponent of taking confident action, I want to pose a question to you, the listener. What is one action that you feel inspired to take after listening to today's episode? If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Thank you so much, and I will catch you next time.